All right. Well, let's get started. What do you think? Think we can do this Jonah 4? Well, we did Jonah 3 last week. That's right. You noticed, um, Carmelo, we have, we've just started in James. So, um, we're, but we're not doing James as quick as we are Jonah. It, it, it's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're in James. And, and James is, uh, we're doing it different. Jonah we've done very uh, rapidly, but um, it's kind of a story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, we, we um, in, in Jonah here, um, I'm going to use a little bit of here of Spurgeonese, if it's okay. C.H. Spurgeon. Um, he, he had a sermon dealing with this uh, chapter 4 here, and his comments on it I thought were pretty good. As he started off with, he said, um, "We meet with God continually, and in this book of Jonah and in Jonah's life, we we see God just all the way through here, just imprinted uh, everywhere." And so Spurgeon said, "The Lord told the prophet to go to Jennifer, and Of course, we know where he went. He went to Tarshish, right? And um, so what happened is that." Uh, because he didn't want to do what the Lord said, the Lord sent out a great wind. So there we see God being God and doing what He's going to do anyway. It's quite a terrible uh, storm that uh, happened. They throw Jonah overboard. Then uh, in the 17th verse of that first chapter, and we didn't go through each chapter this quick. You know, already we're in 17 verses, right? But um, it says the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So, and we know Jonah was in the the belly of the fish, you know, the three days, three nights. And of course, we talked talked about that, you know, we constantly. So that's that's the picture of the resurrection of Christ. And but Jonah didn't know that. Did he? Uh, no, <laughs> he didn't. He, he was a, a, a beautiful picture of the resurrection of Christ, and yet at the same time, he didn't really quite get that. He didn't get this whole thing, uh, as as it seems to appear. Uh, the way, at least the way that he wants to see it. But God prepared that fish. God had prepared a storm, right, before that. And um, so there's a storm. He prepares a fish. And we also know there's the, the great illustration. Um, and he winds up landing safely back on the land. And um, there he is. He's set forth to do what God has planned for him to do. And then he, Spurgeon said, God has planned and prepared for storms in our own lives. God prepares those for us. Uh, there probably has been a tempest um, which was in your life. And before you came to Christ, Christ brought you to Him, however you want to term that. It was a career of sin, as Spurgeon put it. And uh, you were determined to go to destruction, not even knowing that that's what was heading. But there came a great trial. And uh, out of that trial, you were threatened utterly to be swallowed up also. And after that came a delivering mercy. And we know that that is our salvation. Um, We were not lost, but we were saved. And like Jonah said in his prayer, salvation is of the Lord. In chapter 2 he said that. And of course since that time, uh, I don't, Spurgeon said, I should not wonder if you have seen the hand of God in many very singular ways. Have you seen the hand of God in your life? You can go back and start counting some of the things that He's done. Oh my. Look, look what He was doing there. 
I didn't know what he was doing at the time. I think probably Jonah knows now what that little illustration might have been. (laughs) But... um, Right. Romans eight twenty eight fits right in there. He works all things good, bad, ugly, <laughs> and he works them for good. On the other side, there. That's powerful stuff. This is God's stuff. This is a high view of God. Yeah. And that's what we want. Um, we want that, and then we want it to apply to our lives. But uh, Jonah was, was a man of God, um, even though we, we see his sin just straight out right in front of us. But we can go and look at Abraham and see his sin also. Matter of fact, you can probably go to just about anybody and, and see their sin. Um, Daniel is one of the guys that's kind of hard to pinpoint anything there on him on the pages. And Joseph. And Joseph. Those two are... Um, Remarkable people that God used there. Well, we can find a lot of fault with Jonah all over the place. And uh, he richly deserves it, as we do too. <laughs> we deserve the same thing. Uh, he, in some ways, he was not an amiable, per- amiable person, uh, but he was a man of God. He was a praying man of God. If you are a believer, you pray. And sometimes you get into real bad situations where you really have to depend upon God. So he's a man of prayer. He's a man of faith. He does believe God. He, he knows God. And he knows that uh, he is to honor God. But sometimes when we don't honor God, we have just disobeyed Him, and of course there's where sin is too. And Spurgeon said, His fault mainly lay in that imperfect idea of God. There were things that he thought the way that God should have acted uh, with, and he didn't do it the way that he wanted and so there were things in in his thinking that had to be shaped up, even though his theology is very good. <laughs> very good. I, I know I wasn't here when you began doing it, and I missed all the introductory notes, but has there been any, anyone who stated what they believe Jonah really had against the Ninevites? Not just, a, not just a nationalistic thing, oh, we're... Well, I think you hit it on the head in the sense that um, they there's definitely a nationalistic aspect involved. He is of the Jews, and that's who God. Really, and, and actually, they're supposed to take that to the Gentiles. There's another thing in that he knows, as being a prophet, that the Israelites have a lot of uh, prophecy against them. And there's a lot of judgment that has come and that is going to come. And it's going to be here, there's going to be a repentance granted to these people who are Gentiles. So that makes. The Israelites who had this position, they it's like they lose that in that sense for this time being. That would be another reason. Um, were they warlike people? Or were they, they, were, they, they were. were. Okay. The worst. They were the worst. Uh, it, they had mountains of, of skulls mm-hmm. out in front of their 
door to their their yeah. um, outside the walls. They had mountains of skulls. They were ruthless people. That's a good word to put it. You know, well, God had never required this from one of His prophets before. He had, had he had never sent. He never sent anybody out to the enemy. This is total enemy, not a mixture. It's all Gentiles, and not only Gentiles, but cruel enemies. And this is where God is sending Jonah. So right. From a human standpoint, you can kind of understand that when they repented, it just shook Jonah up. They really deserve judgment. Yeah, and they did. And they certainly did. And you would think, and God brings judgment, and He's done it on every nation and every empire. He will do it with this country. It will happen. And all of the kingdoms will come down. There's one kingdom that uh, will uh, that is eternal. And, uh, of course, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, you're right. I think there are a lot of reasons. And it is a personal thing, and that's what God is going to get at him in chapter 4. It turns into him personally dealing with Jonah and his problem. Um, and it's no longer, there they are. Howdy. Good to see you, Christy. Hello, hello. We got we got three of them there. <laughs> Good to see you guys. <laughs> Fantastic. You guys more than doubled. <laughs> or almost doubled, right? I guess they three. <laughs> Fantastic. Glad glad uh, glad to have you. Uh, yeah, we connected on Facebook yesterday, so I'm not surprised, but you guys probably are. But it's it's great to have you. We happen to be in Jonah, and we happen to be in Jonah four, and we just started. Uh, we're right on the introduction. So, and if somebody wants to get them, maybe make a, an outline or something, kind of they can kind of follow along. But um, anyway, um, so what we're saying is Jonah, being of where he has been at, what he's done, we see that um, there are some things that he needs to be corrected with. We we know that he cried out whenever he was praying in chapter 2. He cried out for mercy. And uh, that was uh, quite a sermon. I don't think Jonah here, whenever we see him in chapter 3, he was he was not lacking in backbone. He went ahead and did what God told him. And his message was really not like you know, repent and you can be saved. His message really is God is going to bring judgment upon you. And that's really what God told him to do. If you'll look there in chapter 3, that's that's really his message. Um, and, you know, he's not wanting them to hear the mercy of God. His message, though, is given by God to tell them what's going to happen. And, uh, of course, this is... Has anything to do with that message? What's that? Do you think his appearance had anything to do with that Well, that's been suggested very highly because he uh, probably would have been bleached. Uh, yeah. And he came into... The, and and it's, who knows, there might have been people have seen that whenever he was spit out by the fish. All of a sudden, there he's on... We don't know. It was still 500 miles to go to Nineveh. But we do know that that has happened in history where one man... Uh, it was reported back in the 1800s who was swallowed up by a fish and he lived to tell about it. 
the only thing is is uh like a year or two later and he was his skin had turned and um it did some a lot of damage because of the acids that are in the fish uh in the digestive system that wants to dissolve what's in your stomach <laughs> and um so you know God brought up that fish though don't forget that God made that fish God sent the storm and that's what's all behind this I think God is what Spurgeon was saying there God is very conspicuous in this story and, uh that's probably what it is. Probably took some time, didn't it? He, he definitely was not. He was not flying on a plane. He was not riding in a car. So that really limits the speed that he's going to have, unless he was able to catch a hold of a caravan and maybe they give him a ride on a on a camel or something. Well. Yeah. And, and there are some people who walk across the United States. You've heard of some of them, and all that you know. So it can be done physical. Imagine, imagine with the heat and and all the the extremities that can happen. So uh, he's doing uh, some pretty amazing things here to do what God told him. And uh, at the same time, God is is causing this. So he says, okay. And here's what I I like the way that uh, Spurgeon did. So we'll notice first that God is in our comforts. God is in our comforts. God, in this chapter 4, prepares a plant, a gourd, as as some say. And He did that. Secondly, God is actually in our bereavements and losses. He is in those. God prepared a worm. God prepares a gourd. God prepares a worm to eat that gourd or that plant and uh, Spurgeon went on for a third one and he said God is in our heaviest trials God prepared uh, an east wind pretty violent bringing on that scorching heat in that Sirocco wind so do you see what God has done? He supplied the plant, then He supplied the the, the bereavement, you know, preparing the worm. He gives us the heaviest trial sometimes. And then fourthly, and it's not in the text, Spurgeon says, in words, but the very essence of it here is that God prepared Jonah. Do you get that? God was preparing Jonah. And there's three things. We know there's the gourd, there's the worm, there's the wind, right? And then there's the preparation of of Jonah, that he would be a better man for the Lord's service because evidently through all of this, he was really having quite the struggle. Chapter 4 is going to show that. And Spurgeon says he needed to be taught as children in their infancy are taught by object lessons and things that they can see. So that's, you know, the worm, (laughs) the plant. So Jonah went to God's kindergarten. They had that word in in the 1800s, huh? And uh, to learn from the gourd and the worm and the east wind the lessons that he would not learn in any other way. That's why I borrowed from Spurgeon there. I thought that was um, quite... uh, Fascinating the way he illustrated that. You would have thought that chapter 3 would have been the end of the book. We would be done. 
we, we would be starting on a new book this week. But no, there's a chapter 4. And it should have stopped because the mission was done. It was accomplished. Jonah did a, his job that God told him to do. He pronounced judgment upon them and uh, on the city of Nineveh. The mission was accomplished. The entire city was turned to God. And that's why it seems like the book should end. All is well at the end of three. But there's a problem. The problem is no longer Nineveh. They've repented. They've been turned to the Lord. They have faith. God has saved them. But the problem now is Jonah. God had more trouble in a backsliding prophet than He had with an entire city of brutal, cruel, pagan sinners. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So he'll use these kind of things to get our attention. <laughs> I think that's what this book is about. And nobody would want to say, well, I'm like Jonah. People would say, well, I wouldn't have done that. So, yeah, good good thought there. Um, you would have thought most missionaries would have been elated by all of this. They would go back to Israel and tell that this our, our enemies, this this terrible country, they've all repented, they've all turned to God, the whole city repented, the king, everybody. <laughs> And, but most missionaries, I think, would have would like to maybe have done that. I'm not so sure if uh, that would be the case. Uh, this being Nineveh, but in the first chapter we had him fleeing from God, and in chapter four, the last chapter, we see him flying right in the face of God because he's angry at him, very angry. He's furious at God. And he is very displeased. Because why? The city repented. The city repented. Anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go into the verses here. Father, we thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the story of Jonah. And even though in some ways it may seem so far removed from us, yet at the same time we all have Jonah in our own lives. And sometimes we don't have the compassion for the lost that we really should have. And so, Lord, uh, we ask for forgiveness. And we repent before You where we have not been desiring to give the Gospel to people who are lost, that don't know You. And... Lord, any pride prejudices that we have in our own heart, we want them to be broken. And You use this story of Jonah for each one of us because that's really what this was about. Not this one man himself, but even a whole nation that he came from and all believers of all time. Help us to understand thoroughly 
you and this great picture of ultimately Jesus Christ is the one who dies, resurrects, gives the gospel to us, and we're to go out into the lost world and distribute that news. And this is the good news that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the first four verses. This is uh, I've got it in two parts tonight, basically. You know, usually it might have three, four parts. At, uh, just, just two. It's about Jonah being displeased and angered, and then how God graciously deals with uh, this man of God. Verse, verse 1, chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, Yahweh, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please... Take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? <laughs> He's praying this time after he has, you know, this should have been a glorious thing. People repented. When he was in, he was in the fish, he was praying to God, and there was a deliverance. Here, he's praying that God would take his life while he's living, and there has been a glorious thing that just happened. What, what is with this Jonah? Well, he's quarreling with God. And it says here that he, I think you'd have to say, he's not a happy camper. He's not joyous at all. He's the poor avengers. Oh, boy. Yeah, he, he has not the heart for that. That's a problem. I mean, I mean what evangelist would not be excited in the whole city in terms of... You would think so? <laughs> They'd be telling everybody, wouldn't they? But he was a prophet, and what he had prophesied had not come to pass. So I think that's the reason he wouldn't go around telling it. Well, I said this great this prophecy, and it didn't happen. The judgment, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he failed. Yeah, you know, the first, it starts out that it displeased Jonah. But my footnote says the literal Hebrew is it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. And that is it. That's the Hebrew term. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 2, did you have that, um, that verse uh, correlated with that? You are exactly right. Very good. Very good there, Janice. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it for their wickedness, their evil, has come up before me. Or displeasure, if you want to go along with this um, displeasing, Jonah. But yeah, that that is correlated with evil, wickedness. And of course, that's that correlates with God, doesn't it? So it's it's the same uh, as Nineveh's evil of what's happening here. You know, we're, we're we're sinning when we're upset by God's grace towards some evil, wicked sinners. Now, I I don't think anybody here would be thinking that, but uh, of course we can look at uh, enemies, maybe enemies who have attacked this nation or who would like to attack this nation, and. Uh, We'd like to think God would bring judgment upon them, but first of all, 
we probably ought to be thinking something different, really. Even though they deserve great judgment, our real concern is that do they know Christ? I think there's a lot of people who are displeased with John Newton. When he came to know Christ, uh, he, was, he, was, he was quite a sinner. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the... Uh, Amazing Grace, of course, and he was uh, quite a wicked fellow, wasn't he? His captain put him out and tied a rope on him and let him drag on the back of the ship in the water because he couldn't stand it. That's how bad he was. And he wound up on an island, I think, after that kind of. Yeah, the Indians got a whole thing. But God amazingly saved him, and he was like, man, why would God save such a. Low life. Like he can take those. Trophies of God's grace. That's right. The worst of the worst, and that magnifies God's grace. Matter of fact, the worse they are, the and the the, the ones He saves, the, the more the glory he gets in a sense. I guess you can say. But of course, we're all in that same boat. But oh yeah, it, that's that's amazing grace there. Well, it says also that he became angry. Um, you might have in your translation, very angry is the idea. Exceedingly. Exceedingly angry. Yeah. And that means he's mad at God for God being God. Does that make sense? Because that's what God is in the business of. Of saving wicked people, and that includes us, and bringing them into his family. That's what he does. And he's mad at God for taking these people and doing that. That that pretty well sets it up for what's happening here. Jonah prays to God, we know, and he prays to the Lord. He prayed to Him in the fish. He's just miserable now, and and he knew God, and and he he knows Him, and he he hates these Ninevites. God, I want you to judge them, is kind of what he's saying. I want you to take your wrath that you have, and, and that's what you do, and, and judge them. And he knew that God can forgive those kind of people. He knew how merciful, how good he is. And of course, he, he quotes that. He says, you're gracious, you're compassionate, um, slow to anger, well, that's the opposite of the way Jonah is because he is infuriated at God. And I want you to judge him, God. But really, whatever pleases God should please us even though we can't account for what's going on here and I don't. it doesn't agree with what I thought. We, we must always acquiesce to what His will is, even though it doesn't even seem right. And in this case, His mind is is thinking that these are wicked, they deserve judgment. And, uh, boy, to learn that message of grace, it's difficult. Um, so, you know, and He's kind of justifying Himself here, you know, hey, here's the reason. Here's the reason. Okay, I know you told me to go to Nineveh. I went the opposite way. I know that, but I knew you were, you are this kind of God and this is what you're going to do. I, I just, you know, when certain things happen, sometimes I'll be watching a, a baseball game 
and when things all of a sudden just turn just like that and you can just see the dominoes go down. You know, it's it just deflating really quick. It's just like, I knew the Cardinals were going to blow their first place position and wind up in third place and the Cubs and the Pirates were going to blow them away and they were going to have to face the Cubs in a one-game playoff and get beat. I knew that. Now, it's kind of proven different now. But that's the way I felt, the way things were going. And then the Royals were going to be placed by uh, uh, Toronto, which looks like that's what's going to happen now. So I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I really didn't know. But sometimes when you think, and so in this case, God, I knew this, and I knew that you had the capability and you could save them. Why do you want to do that? You know, he should be pleased at God for doing it. Um, Ninevites repented. They were spared. I think he has pride. Um, There's definitely a contention here between this man Jonah and God. And God had honored Jonah being the prophet of just of going out there and these people being converted, and he was the one who gave that message. And I think he's jealous for uh, what happened to this um, the city. Uh, there's been repentance that has been brought on. There has been a reformation there in Nineveh. Um, God has shown favor to these Gentiles who repent. And this is all an omen to the Jewish nation. These are some of the things that uh, I guess we could be saying why God or why Jonah is so mad at God and the way that he's taking things the way they are there. Um, and And the Gentiles, it's like they're going to be substituted in, in their space. Um, Apostle Peter had a little difficulty with the Gentiles, didn't he? And he wrestled with that. God sent him that, uh, that vision, you know, the, the animals and the blanket and, and everything. And we see that God uh, has this plan. And uh, Peter just couldn't believe it. And then, then uh, he winds up realizing that this is what God has going here. It had been prophesied all through the Old Testament. And the, the Israelites were supposed to take that message to the nations. Jonah had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Real knowledge, real truth. He had a zeal. Really did. And he had a zeal for God, and he really knew who God was. He knew that he was on the present. He realized he thought that maybe he can go cautious and flee from the presence of God. Well, that's stupid. He doesn't know that God is on the present. So, I mean, the Jewish people, they knew that God. So where was his knowledge? Exactly. Did he really think that he'd get... And you know what? Christians do this. You guys have known some people. Maybe you yourself have done it or just run away from God. And it can't happen. God, if you're His, He's not going to let you... He knows exactly where... He knows exactly the, what you're going to think before you think. You know, I think of Psalm 139 and, and all of that. That's you just said said it right there, and that's what we run into chapter four here again. Here, he, he, the the heart is the problem. He certainly knows God. He's a prophet. I mean, you know, and he has a lot of knowledge about God. I think many are displeased with God, 
And they have this pretense of concern for His glory, but they're really displeased with what the way that God is doing it. Uh, there's something here in the New Testament I think we can get an, uh, an idea of um, where this is at. And boy, we're, we're all just so prone to this. It, it's not it's not funny at all. Um, in 955 of Luke... <laughs> That's right. I, yeah, it's Luke nine fifty five, right? Okay. Um, let's pick it up fifty one. The days were approaching for his ascension. He was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they were and entered went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Let's do it. James and John, you know, the sons of thunder, let's bring it down, let's destroy this. Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. (laughs) Boy, did every change around. A son of thunder there like that? Come on, bring it on, Lord. The one whom Jesus loved. (laughs) God does those things. That's what He's doing to each one of us. Through all the years that we've been Christians, even before that, he was still working on us. And then we become Christians, and then all the way up to, to, to this very moment right here, God's working to work in us. Now, there are a lot of times when we would say, back off, back off, God. He's there. And uh, and he might just let us do our little thing for a little while. But it's it's not going to win, is it? Uh, so anyway, Jonah thinks he has reason to complain. And... Uh, of course, you look at the story here. I wonder if Jesus um, might have said something there at this time. We don't have it. <laughs> look, it's just about. Anyway, um, he should have been a savor of life unto life, a sweet-smelling aroma that that um, Jonah should have been. But really, he was a savor of death unto death. <laughs> the opposite. And so now he wishes for his death. As he makes this prayer, it's not about save me this time, it's take me. Oh, Yahweh, personal God, covenant God, take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. I'd rather die. Being in discontent, the corruptions got ahead of his graces, and he should have been praying for benefit by the mercy of God himself, shouldn't he? Complaining, uh, really, uh, of the benefit of others by that mercy. Um, what a strange sort of story, a man here, to dread success of the ministry he's just done, that God has done through him. And I think, you know, it was like he was afraid of doing good by it. And, uh, of course, it was pulled off like that. Uh, please take my life. Alvin said, the prophecy that he prophesied in his life, 
he didn't want to face the Jews. He didn't want to go back to them again because he, his prophecy was that. And they're they're going to hate him. And they would. You know? He would have been better off to just go ahead and live with the Ninevites than to go back to the Jews. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he, even at this moment, he he is just, you know, okay. If this way it's going to be, just just, you know, kill me, kill me. Death has been right. Wow, kill me, really. I I can't stand the Assyrians being converted. What about those people over there today? Uh, this is absolutely the worst nightmare, and he knew that nightmare was going to come. Boy, that's some attitude. I, 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 that's a rotten attitude. It was a rotten attitude from the very beginning in chapter 1. And here we are at the end of the book and he has a rotten attitude. And he, he wanted to be killed the first time whenever he's on the ship. Now he's wanting to be killed another time. And he will be, he'll say it again. So he wants to be killed. If Nineveh must live, then I want to die. Rather than see the glory of Israel transferred over to the Gentiles, just take me. This is it. The conversion of Nineveh. Uh, convert, who knows? He should, have, he should have been giving glory to God and knowing, hey, not only in Nineveh, but this could spread to the whole kingdom. If it did in the city, why couldn't it just go ahead and go out throughout all the land? And him being out there preaching the same message that he had just given. But he wishes that uh, he could die. Prejudice, pride, he cannot tolerate the magnitude of God's grace to this barbaric nation, an evil, wicked bunch of people. He'd rather be dead than people be converted to Christ or to God. And this is aggravated to such an extreme degree that you know he would preach destruction, which is what he did. He's going to go on a hill now and he's going to wait 40 days and hopefully watch it come and love every minute of it. Maybe he's thinking that's what was going to happen and now he's realizing, huh. Um, and, and, and he says, okay, just, just kill me. There's a, there's a guy in the Old Testament that did that who was a prophet. If you turn back to 1 Kings 19, quite a, quite a prophet. Kind of almost the first of the great line of prophets in the sense of um, during the time of the kings, he's kind of known as one of the first. Although there had been others like Samuel and such, but uh, when you think of the prophets, he doesn't have a book, but he did take on the prophets of Baal and he won on that mountain and in first kings 19 verse 27 no 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 what did what did i say it's 194 uh okay yeah okay he, he's he's you know he's done his thing and verse 3 says, He was afraid, rose, and ran for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, another plant, 
And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Take my life. Kill me. This is Elijah. And this is after he's been out of... Uh, was that Mount, Mount Carmel, right? Where he's taken on the Baal prophets and of course just amazing miracle happened there. And then he's on the run because he gets scared of Jezebel. And here, you know, then he's a day's journey and sits down and says, God, take me. I think this happens to us sometimes when we have been exhausted, drained physically, mentally, spiritually, psychologically. In every way, every drop has just seemingly been drained out of us. And we say, this is it. I quit. I don't want any more part of it. I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted. Forget it. You ever been there? Be there. You want to just give it up. You ever you ever noticed it's usually uh, if not the same day the next day um, God changes your mind. <laughs> Maybe a few moments, but anyway, he's ready to give it up. God comes in on this first four. The Lord said, "Do you have good reason to be angry?" Just let God have it, right? Is doing good displeasing to you? That's Young's translation. I think that's pretty good. Is doing good? Say it again. Is your eye evil because I am good? That's good. That that's what it says in KJV, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, God saved Nineveh. Because he was pleased to do that. Hey guys, how we doing? Good. Grab a seat. We're in Jonah chapter four. We're at verse four. Jonah chapter four. Yeah. Glad you guys could make it. Are you off tonight? I quit. Usually work. Got fired. Whoa. I got another Okay, well, we'll we'll shout and praise the Lord, and then we'll be praying for you at the same time. But we'll have a little prayer meeting at the end here. Then, good to see you. We're in Jonah four four. Jonah has uh, is displeased that God has uh, uh, made this city of Nineveh repent, and Jonah's mad. God comes back. He says, okay, Jonah, I wanted you to bring the message of judgment. You did. They repented. They believed. They turned to me. I saved them. Now, my will was done. Are you displeased because I just did my will? Kind of goes along with the translation there. Are you displeased because I did what I was going to do? I had this planned out. This is the way that it was going to be. Um, Doest thou well to be angry? Another translation may read. See how mildly the great God that we know of speaks to this foolish man at this time. And, I mean, he has a... Jonah has a fallen spirit here, uh, but yet God comes in with meekness. 
And but yet at the same time, he wants him to really start thinking here. Hey, listen, this is my plan. This is me. This is my will. Are you displeased with what my will is? That's part one. Let's go to part two. Let's go into verse five, and we'll read five through eleven. Okay, Jonah's really mad, really angry. And God says, "So you're mad because my will has been done, and I get the glory, and you're mad at that." And Jonah would say, "Yeah, absolutely." He still he wants to die, right? Kill me. Then Jonah went out from the city, sat east of it. There he made a shoulder for himself, sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. See, he's still expecting to God to destroy this city. He's going to sit there and wait. So, the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plan. You remember in verse 1? He was angry. Now he's happy. He's got this plan. Just popped up overnight. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day. And it attacked the plant and withered. He said, God, what are you doing? You just made the plant and now you destroyed the plant. What are you doing, God? He doesn't make sense, does he? <laughs> when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. He's not done yet. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Boy, God teaches lessons, doesn't He? Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand, as well as many animals. And that's the end of the book. God is getting a lesson across to him. We don't get the rest of the story, but a lot of commentators like to think that maybe Jonah might have gotten it by now. But we don't know. But I would tend to think. Part two is God graciously dealing with this hard-hearted Jonah, an angry man. Now, really just furious. And he's expecting, he's just hoping that God will destroy them. So what he does, he goes out of the city, goes east where there's some elevation up over this Nineveh. It's a, it's, it would be in the hill country there. And it's elevated there. Makes a little shelter. It's not very good at all. It's enough to have a little bit of a shade, not not the greatest. And, of course, where he's at and that at that place, that area, it's going to be really hot. He's going to plant himself there and just kind of hope for the best, that God would destroy this city, gets far enough away that uh, God can do his thing. He, he wants them all to get killed. That's That's what he's hoping. And he's just given the greatest message that he possibly could. It's what God gave him. There's going to be judgment. But the people repent. They do what Jonah thought they might do. But he's got some hope. 
some hope that they'll be destroyed. Well, why would God do that, though? I mean, you know, you know. I'm sure that's what he's thinking. You know, and he's thinking this. I just hope they go right back into sinning. I hope they go into what they do. I hope that that repentance really isn't real. His hope is, you know, I just, whatever, however wicked they are, I hope they return to that and God says, that's it. I'm just going to sit here and wait. God, God's going to destroy him. And it's hot. In that part of the world, it can be blazing hot. And we're talking 115, 120 degrees. The uh, the Sirocco wind then can happen coming in the east, and, that, and especially up on a high elevation. And so those people in the city probably are not feeling what he's feeling. <laughs> and he doesn't have any place to put himself other than this little thing that he built, which is really nothing, not very adequate. And so uh, there there we have it. Um, God God gives him a plan. Gives him this and. So you know, knowing how hot it is and and uh, how terrible it feels, God appoints a plant. He prepares a plant to grow. He prepared a fish earlier, and then he had the fish then put him out on the beach. What a sight that must have been! He didn't even have to swim, however, fifteen hundred miles or whatever, <laughs> however it could have been. But he uh, he has now prepared this little tree and it has a shade over him and it says what does it say his condition is when God does that? Extremely happy. He's just joyous. He's sitting back he's thinking oh, things are starting to go my way now. This is cool. This is a lot cooler than it was. (laughs) Oh, God must be getting ready to do His thing and He's providing for me. And then just like that overnight, it's gone. The, he prepares a worm, a little bitty worm, to take on this huge plant that's shading him on the east part of the city. And he, you know, he's an extremely happy. And you know, in verse one, he's extremely angry. But now that's changed. God's doing His thing. You know, there's exposure of heat out there, but now He's got some comfort. God adds comfort to us sometimes. Matter of fact, a lot. He's not burned by the sun. All of a sudden, He's very happy. He's about to get His object lesson. God is going to deal with Him personally. He is doing it right now. Sends comfort, and then He appoints the worm to do its damage. He creates a plant, then He creates a worm. So when dawn came early in the morning, it attacked the plant, just withers. <laughs> That's a powerful worm. God appoints a scorching east wind then. What's that? It just got ate up, didn't it? God appointed the worm. That's how sovereign he is. He can say, what kind of a God is that to bring on these kind of trials? To bring on a storm out in the, out in the Mediterranean Sea. And then for him to get swallowed up by a fish, but he prepared the fish to save his life. And then he prepares all these things for him. And you see, it's all about, Jonah has a lesson to learn. And this is the way that God has planned for it to happen to him. He wasn't going to listen any other way. He teaches a lesson. And 
So, um, it says, when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head. It's hotter than it ever has been before now. So that he became faint. Now, you know, he's, he's, he's passing out. And he, he, he's just begging, just kill me. Please, I want to die. This is enough. This is where God's going to definitely get his attention. You know, Dennis, is an interesting comparison between Jonah and Job. And how that uh, Job was the one who had much and God took all away. And uh, Job said, Blessed is him the Lord, and give us and take it away. But yet, Job was a righteous man. And, and here, um, Job had a hard time with this, and, and, and all the way down to his head. But it's an interesting comparison between the two of them, and how that one, how one had reacted toward what was happening, how the other reacted toward it. And both of them spoke to them, suddenly. Yeah. Very good. That's right. Um, yeah, you should have said, "Blessed be the name of the Lord." God giveth, and God taketh. You know, uh, He gave him a, a little plant, put it over his head, and they took it away. And um, the Lord speaks. Then, um, I, I think Jonah has been justifying his sin all the way through. Um, even though he had prayed before and he, he meant it and he was saved and delivered out of that and he does do uh, do that his heart is still wrong even when he did the thing that God wanted him to he has little regard for God's authority because behind all this God is is that's what he does he saves people out of the wickedness that they're in he has little regard for other people's lives and he has little regard for his own life you know, kill me. That's a third time that he has told God that. And so we get to see the reasoning of God here. We see it in 10. The Lord said, You had compassion on the plant. The pl- you know, plants. It, you, you like plants over people. How about his comfort? He cared more, you know, about the plants and his comfort than the people who were lost and their sins who had now repented. Really, Jonah, are you serious? Are you really a prophet of God? Yep. You know, God was even uh, and and uh, Bob uh, related this last week. I think you, you talked about Abraham when there, you had Sodom and Gomorrah and that city. And there's Abraham pleading. You know, 50 righteous, 40 righteous, 30 righteous, 20 righteous, 10, all the way to there. And, and of course, God in His gracious kept saying that, yeah, if you can even find 10. God knew there weren't 10 there. <laughs> um, but he was, it was like He was ready to spare Sodom. How much more, you know, this city? And He did spare this city, but He didn't spare Sodom. How can... Jonah be so callous and selfish about this. And so God just says, hey, you had compassion on the plant. You didn't even work for that. You didn't plant it. You didn't cause any kind of growth. And then, you know, of course, it perished overnight. And he said, shouldn't I, who am God, have compassion on Nineveh? He says, the great city. 
as wicked and evil as they were, the great empire at that time, much as it's populated, and he says, how can you be so concerned about your own comfort while a whole city is on the brink of judgment? Oh, the flagpole. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Meet you at the pole. They do that every year. That's that's a that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to Joe. Hey, Jonah. I got I got some questions. What happened? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, um, you know, as we go on down here, um, Shania compassion on Nineveh, the great city, and God has said that before. Great city, great city. It, you know, it was it was the city of the world. You know, and of course, we think of. Uh, we see the destruction of Babylon, which represents a lot of different things. But you know, you, you see that how God is going to destroy everything that has all its glory in all the kingdoms and the cities and the countries, nations, and they're all going to go down, right? Uh, and they they have all the way up to this time point. And of course, we have this nation, and it, and it too will be judged. There's where we come in because now we are the ones that are to take what Jonah had and to go proclaim that too, proclaim the risen Lord, right? As Eldon was talking about last week. And that's the that's the idea of, of, of this this whole life, this thought here of Jonah and what happened. Um, I I uh, I made a comment last week and, and I wanted to look a little bit further and I'm not trying to make a, a big point, but this is such a great city. It's it it's it's probably the city that's of, of the world at time as far as the biggest city and it was pretty huge as far as miles and diameters and such and it took him how long how many days to go through it the the was it the, the three days right uh, and of course his message 40 days and then it'll be overthrown so that's a that's a pretty large place if he averaged 20 miles a day that could have been 60 miles um, in, a, in a diameter the um I did make a comment last week, and I think it's actually more than the 120,000 people that are there. And the reason why that is, and and I'm getting these, this is not from my own thinking. These are from commentaries. Calvin mentioned it, that this is these are ones that don't know the right hand from the left hand. And it's talking about the ones who would be very young that don't know. And, and some say four years old and on down. Others say three years and on down. It's how quick kids can pick up. Hey, this is your right hand. This is your left hand. And um, I read today Matthew Henry says two years. And, and Henry, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Henry says that. So we're talking Henry, Matthew Henry, Calvin, Spurgeon said it. Uh, you can take some uh, modern-day guys and guys that are dead now. Barnes, I think, in his set of commentaries. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, MacArthur, on and on. And they do mention that the reason why is because this was such a huge city, they can't see that it would just be 120,000 because there are reasons to believe that this was at least 500, 600,000, even to a million people that were in this city. 
And so why would he mention the 120,000? So that's the reason I said that. And it's and it's not it's neither here nor there. But what he's saying, if there's 120,000 innocent ones, and of course nobody's innocent. We're all born sinful. But think about the the little three or four year olds. They don't know things, right? Uh, and I'm not approaching a, an age of accountability here, <laughs> but I am saying that I think what it, it's saying there, even them, he's saying, shouldn't I have compassion at least on these 120,000 little kids, three, two years old, you know, on down, whatever, just just that. And he mentions even the animals. So that's why they would say that, not pressing on it, just saying what he's saying is that, shouldn't I have compassion whether it be all of 500,000 or a million, or the ones even on the little babies, as he brings that out, and the animals who really are, you know, in quote, in an innocence, right? That, and that, that's how he's going to finish this with. And, and boom, that's it. And you think, hey, isn't there any more? But he, he was so concerned about his comfort, and just when we're kind of clucking our, our tongues at Jonah, God ends this book with a swift knockout blow and he drops us right to the canvas. Boom! Jonah goes down, we go down. Pow! You lack my compassion for lost people. We really do. You say, well, I, I have a compassion for lost people. I, I really do. I, I do go to people. Yeah, we do. But I don't think it's enough. If we really had compassion, why aren't there more people here? I'm condemning myself here. <laughs> I can give my hundred dollars, but I don't have to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's who's my yeah. <laughs> That's right. Tell anybody about this good thing called Bible study. That's right. God might save them. I think it's the same thing that Jonah was going through when the salvation was given to the people. If he began to look at the, all the hard work and all the troubles he was going to have to go through now for these people to be converted, because now somebody's going to have to get in there and begin to show them the right way to do it. And that's that's about grace, isn't it? And even though you know we have an understanding of grace, that is really hard to grasp because we live. The sad part of this is that he went and told this message to a heathen nation, and they repented. Uh, Jesus himself told his own nation, and they did not believe it at all, and they were all destroyed. 70 AD, most of them. They didn't believe it. They didn't understand. They'd had God's word to them for hundreds, thousands of years on this same thing. And they just ignored it. Exactly. That's. And it's still I think the impact of race there is incredible. They, there's no way they could have believed or would want to believe, but God put it in their hearts, like He did a, by the name a lady by the name of Lydia, 
like he does to all of us, he puts it into their hearts so that they would repent and believe. He does that to some, doesn't do it to others. The fact is, nobody deserves it, and that's the whole point of it all. All of us should have been judged like he was going to judge Nineveh. Instead, he decides to save a whole city. And then, you know, it's God asking first, do you have a good reason to be angry in verse 4? Do you have a good reason to be angry? At this point, Jonah's thinking, yeah, I sure do. He's angry at God for showing mercy, right? To to the very enemy. Huh? Exactly. This is amazing grace here that he just doesn't swat him down and, matter of fact, grant him what he wanted. I'd say, hey, fine, kill him. Get rid of him. Listen to him. Listen to the guy, you know, you know, to God. God shared a little bit of his frustration with him. Rose the plant under the sea. Here's your plant. Okay, now I take it from you. There. Now I'm satisfied. Because <laughs> so now you're miserable. And not only that, but I'm going to put heat on you because you won't put any stomach. Right. So I feel like that is a, an expression of God's anger, but not really anger where it's like, like too much. But you cannot bear Yeah, I'm not. I'm going to take your yeah. comfort away yeah. that's making you so exceedingly happy because you have the whole wrong attitude. Because yeah. you just, Keep planting the seed, right? Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. That's right. I think the has an understanding of who God is. And, you know, that's what the trials are for, so that we may know Him and how that we need to serve Him and honor Him and find Him. So Jonah had to come to that place of knowing who is God. He had to go through that all of us that he had to go through until he came to the reality. Okay, you talk about me the way that you say who I am, but you don't have no way until he had this take place and then God put that trial in his life. And now Jonah's eyes are open to where he's realizing who is this guy from the real side. Yeah, God's lessons will come through eventually. Yeah, uh, to know God and the hope of His resurrections and the fellowship of His sufferings. Um, number two, then, his question, do you have good reason to be angry? Then do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? A soil plant? A worm? That's not quite as noble as being angry about a real just cause, is it? God is saying, Jonah, the fact that you're angry over such petty little annoyances. Just little things. Come on, folks. We take things 
and make them build out a lot bigger than what they really are and shame on us. And we make up things in our own mind and we're not looking at it clearly. We can take a little thing and it, it's huge in our mind and man, this is, this is huge and that's not the way that God should do things and He does things. And you know what we're doing? We're making up our own little way of idolatry. Because we're making God say something that He hasn't said or done or whatever. But um, God is saying, since I have compassion on lost people, shouldn't you? <laughs> um, See where you're really at. We're not we're not so hot, are we? <laughs> I'm glad we we have a little plan over us. <laughs> um, we we have a ways to go yet, don't we? We have not arrived. And um, but you know what, Calvin said that we need to know ourselves. We need to know God. When we know God and we desire to follow His way, then He starts. He He's, He develops us, and um, we're, we're caught up with pursuing our own comfort, and uh, we're insensitive to those around us who are perishing without Christ. And so, the question we want to ask as uh, we leave here tonight: Do I have God's heart of compassion for the lost? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are. You are certainly a great God. Thank You for this lesson of Jonah that You've given us all. And even though there's a lot of humor here, Lord, and things that um, we can kind of uh, see how You operate and and work and in a very gracious way, um, but at the same time, we know it, it filters down to each one of us. Those stories that are written in the Old Testament are for us today. And so thank you for that, and may it not be one of those things where we say, yeah, this is good for so-and-so, but really, Lord, that it we should be saying, Lord, you, you know us. You show us where we are not thinking the right way on things, or where we need to be uh, focused on you and your things and your will, uh, where we might be th- doing, thinking that we're doing the right things. And yet, it's um, something that you're you're getting across to us, trying to get across to us that we'd be uh, open to who you are, and as you know us, that we would get to know you, get to know who we are, and um, the desire to to follow you closer. So thank you for this little study we've had in the past few weeks. And uh, may it be a gigantic message to all of us. Humble us, Lord, and uh, make us more like Christ. And uh, Lord, we pray for Avell in uh, his uh, search now for a new job. And uh, we pray for his situation. We know that he has a family and uh, needs to be taken care of there financially. But... Uh, Lord, you know what's going on there, and uh, so uh, we'll, we'll keep in prayer for him, uh, each of us individually, and uh, that uh, you have uh, something in mind that will uh, help him know you and uh, something that can uh, provide uh, for their uh, as their means to, to get what's needed. Uh, we'll also pray for Audrey as 
she has a car that has uh, finally gone out, and uh, we know that uh, she's in a search in the need of, a, of uh, transportation, get back and forth to do, um, to do her work and everything that she needs. So we uh, pray, Lord, there that uh, how that works out and uh, uh, definitely uh, that, that great need. We thank you, uh, Lord, for who you are and what you do for us. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. amen. By the way,